0: So let's continue this story on this character of Balaam in chapter 24. So when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he didn't even go up as the other times before the Lord to seek the face or to seek for enchantments, but he just set his face toward the wilderness and Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel abiding in their tents, according to their tribes. And the spirit of God came alive Verses one and two. So he saw the camp, the people living there, the tabernacle in the middle of it, and all the people around it. And Balaam said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but my eyes open. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, and your tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys of are they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees align aloes which the Lord has planted, and as the cedar trees beside the waters? He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Verses 3-7. through seven. Of course, the king and the kingdom here is looking ahead in prophecy to Jesus Christ. God brought him forth out of Egypt, and he has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. And he shall eat up the the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with the arrows. He couched and he lay down as a lion, as a great lion, and who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesses you, and cursed is he that curses you. And the king's anger was kindled, and he clapped his hands together, and he said to Balaam, Look, I called you to curse my enemies, and you've altogether blessed them these three times. Now, you better flee to your own place. I thought to promote you to great honor. but The Lord has kept you back from honor, verses 8 through 11. So I was going to make you a great man, but the Lord has kept you from that. You know, there is an honor that is well that you be kept from, the rewards of unrighteousness. I was going to promote you to great honor, but the Lord. Now that's the honor you don't want. I'll tell you the honor that the Lord holds back is what you don't want. And Balaam said to Balak, I told you, your messengers, that if you would give me your whole house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord, either to do good or bad of my own mind. But what the Lord has said, I will speak. And now I am going to my people, and I will advertise what the people shall do and the people in the latter days, verses 12 through 14. So I'm going to tell you one more thing. And so he prophesied once more concerning Jesus Christ, and it's a beautiful prophecy concerning the Lord. In verse 16, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the most high. He saw the vision of the almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now I shall behold him, but not now there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel or a kingdom and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the child of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir shall also be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. And out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remains of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he shall perish forever verses 16 through 20 now Amalek is always in the scripture a type of the flesh when we get to the book of Esther we'll deal with Amalek the type of the flesh but this is God's word against the flesh it's going to perish forever the flesh life it's going to perish forever God's instructions to Saul concerning Amalek was what wipe it out utterly that is God's continual commandment concerning Amalek and concerning your flesh. Wipe it out utterly. If you don't destroy it, it can and will destroy you. And Paul said in Romans 8:13, if we, by the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. The flesh life, we're not going to give place to the flesh or to the flesh life but walk after the spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of your flesh so the parable against amalek is a very important parable as god declares the end of the flesh life it shall utterly perish forever and then he looked on the Kenites and took out the parable and said strong is your dwelling place and you have put your nest in a rock nevertheless The Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry you away captive. And he has took the parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God is doing this? And the ship shall come in from the coast of Chittim, shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Verses 21 through 25. Now, you think, oh, goody, goody for you, Balaam, good man. No, unfortunately. Balaam said, I shall see, but not know. I shall behold, but I do not believe that Balaam will share in the kingdom of God, though he was a prophet of God indeed. But he allowed greed to master his heart. The king had offered, offered all of these rewards. And Balaam sought God that he might go, and when God wouldn't curse them, and the king said, all right, that's too bad. You go home. I told you to curse them, and you blessed them. You know, I was going to give you great honor, and now I can't. Now, Balaam, greedy for the rewards that had been offered by the king, began to give to the king evil counsel. And in the 31st chapter of Numbers, we are told in verse 16, behold... These caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. Uh, uh, Numbers verse 31, uh, chapter 31, verse 16. And we'll get to that in the next chapter here. But the thing that happened in Peor, but what happened happened as a result of the advice that Balaam had given to King Balak because he was greedy for the rewards that the king was offering. So in the book of Jude in the New Testament, we are commanded, and the central message of the book of Jude is keep yourself in the love of God. And we are given examples of three persons who failed to keep themselves in the love of God. Korah, Cain, and Balaam. And of Balaam, it is said, Because of his greed, his desire for the riches that the king was offering, that they have gone the way of Balaam. It's referred to as the way of Balaam, who for reward for the greed that was there, the desire for the riches prostituted himself to the king. He was bought off. And in Revelation chapter 2, as the Lord deals with the church of Pergamos, God said to Pergamos that they had their... Those who held to the doctrine of Balaam at verse 14 of chapter two, I have a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So the doctrine of Balaam, idolatry and spiritual fornication that Balaam set the king Balak up to do. Now it doesn't tell us right immediately in our text that this is what happened. But by looking at other scriptures now, we understand the next chapter and what is brought out in this next chapter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter also makes mention of Balaam and he's talking about the false prophets. There'll be many of them. In 2 Peter 2, verse 15, Verses one through three, false teachers who privately will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord. And many will fall their pernicious ways by reason of whom the truth is evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall with feigned words or deceitful words make merchandise of you. Now among these false prophets, Peter warns us that actually they are much like Balaam which in verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, 2 Peter 2.15. The guy loved the wealth, a false prophet taking the monies and using it for his own enrichment, prostituting his ministry. And so he advised the king this way. He said, look, Balak, I can't go into this little spiritual trip and bring a curse. God won't allow me to do that. But these people, their strength lies in the fact that they worship one God, and God honors them, and God has taken them as his people. But the God that they worship is a very jealous God. And if they start worshiping other gods, then his wrath will come upon them, and he'll destroy them. Now, now here's what you've got to do. Take a lot of the beautiful young girls that are here and send them down and let them flirt with the young guys and let them entice the young fellows into acts of fornication. And when they get them all involved in these kinds of acts and let the girls bring out their little gods and say, look, these are the gods that we worship. You want to see how we worship these gods? And they're gods. <laughs> they were worshiped in sex acts. Many of the pagan religious systems, the actual sex act was a part of the worship of the goddess of Venus and Aphrodite and some of these other pagan gods. And in the sex act itself were spiritual rites of these religions. So let us show you how we worship our gods. And so the king followed the advice of the prophet. And that brings us into chapter 25. And Israel was abiding there in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people into the sacrifices of their gods, verses 1 and 2. You see, they got the young guys, and, come on and go with me to the sacrifice of my God. And the people did eat, and they bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto baal pure. Or the Lord of Peor verses 2 and 3 and Peor was the name of the mountain there and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and the Lord said to Moses take all of the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the Sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel verses 3 and 4 in other words cut off the heads of these guys that are doing this hang them up in the Sun that my anger might be turned away And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Slay every one of his men that were joined to Baal Peor. Every man that joined in those rites. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren at Midianitish, a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. So a Midianite woman. And in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, verse 6. So here these guys were weeping and repenting before God for what was done. And here comes this guy in with a prostitute right there, that they could all see him into his tent, all excited and everything. And so Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, verse 7, He actually was the grandson of Aaron. When he saw it, he jumped up and grabbed his javelin and went over to the tent and thrust the guy through and the woman through, both of them in their tent. And so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. But those that died of the plague were 24,000, verses seven through nine. So Balaam was successful in bringing a curse in a secondary way. To Israel and by his advice to the king he laid a stumbling block before God's people so that when Moab was conquered and the Midianites were conquered and they were slain Balaam was slain with them now God said because of Phineas's heroic heroic deeds and righteous deeds in the killing of these people this man and this woman he said I'm going to give Phinehas the son peace And the priesthood will come through his family. The covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God. And he made the atonement for the children of Israel, verses 12 and 13. And so it gives us the name of the man and the woman who was of the tribe of Simeon. Now in chapter 26, we again have the tribes numbered off. Now, remember, this is at the end of the 40 years of the wandering. At the beginning of the 40 years of wandering, they numbered the tribes. And now at the end of the 40 years of wandering, they number the tribes again. And it is interesting to compare the number of people at the beginning and at the end. And actually, there's a total loss of people of about 2,000. Approximately 2,000 less at the end of the 40 years wandering. But some of the tribes, they were really wiped out. uh, Quite frankly, really decimated and others actually grew in number through the wilderness wanderings. And toward the end of the chapter in verse 59, we get a little history of Moses's family. His father's name was Amrams, his mother's name was Jochebed, and she had three children, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. And it gives you a little history of Aaron's family. The two sons again that died, Nadab and Abihu who offered the strange fire before the Lord. And now that generation has passed away. There's no one left except for Moses. Of course, he is still alive and Joshua and Caleb. But all of those who came out of Egypt who were 20 years old or older have now all died with the exception of these three men and moses is soon to die before they go into the land in chapter 27 we have the beginning of a woman's lib organization then there came the daughters of zelephodad the son of Hepher, in verse 1. now what happened is that the dad had seven daughters but no sons and as they were dividing off the land they were giving the sons the portions the oldest son would get the portions and so forth and so these gals said hey now wait a minute it's not fair we have equal rights you know and our dad didn't have any sons if you don't give us any land then my father's name will die in israel so moses said well we'll take it before the lord so the lord said and the lord says these gals are right give them inheritance of the family. And so they won their case and the daughters of Zelophead received the inheritance. And so God's with you gals and he's looking after you and you've got a just cause. But unfortunately these radical women are taking it far beyond God. You know, there is that which is right, but then there's taking it beyond and far beyond what God ever intended. So balance is such an important thing. So he gave the law then of the inheritance. If there is no son, then it goes to the daughters. If there are no daughters or sons, then it goes to the man's brother. If he has no brothers, then it will go to his father's house. And if his father has no brothers, then it comes to the next of kin, whoever is closest in the family to him. Now, the Lord said to Moses, get up to the Mount of Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel and when you have seen it there also you will be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered for you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to proper, properly represent me at the water before their eyes that is the waters of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. verses 12 through 14 So Moses, get up in the mountain, you get to look at the land, but then you're going to die. You're not going to be able to go in because you misrepresented me there at the waters of Meribah, the waters of strife. And Moses said unto the Lord, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, verses 15 and 16. Now this is a interesting little verse. Let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Now, from this little verse, the Mormons have developed their whole doctrine of the eternal spirit of men. That you actually existed in heaven. Your spirit existed there in heaven and then God made a body for you and put your spirit in it to see whether or not you would or could become a god by becoming a Mormon. And you have no memory of your pre in heaven, but all of you pre-existence in heaven as spirits. But there is no way of telling up there whether or not you would be good or bad. So he puts you in a body and lets you prove yourself down here. And if you become a good Mormon and wear your underwear and all that, then you will be a God. And you and your wives that are sealed to you can go to some planet and you can have your own little kingdom that you can watch over and you'll be God over that planet. And you can develop it however you want and wish and so forth. So that whole doctrine comes out of this one little verse. Now, I really don't see it in this verse. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, but it doesn't say anything about the spirits pre existing with God being in heaven before anything like that. He's just the God of the spirits of all flesh. Set a man over the congregation which may go before them, which may lead them out, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord will not be like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand upon him and set him before Eleazar the priest and before the congregation and give him charge in their sight. And you shall put some of the honor upon him that all of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. Verses 16 through 21. Now, the Urim was a little thing that the priest wore, a little pouch of some kind that they sought counsel from God through the use of the Urim and the Thummim. Lights and perfections is what the words Urim and Thummim mean. And some believe that they were just a little pouch and and it had a white stone and a black stone in it and that they would ask the Lord a question and the priest would say, now God, show us which one. And he would pull out a stone. If it was the white stone, God would have said yes, and then they would ask the next question. And, you know, they'd mix up the stones, and you'd pull a stone again, and they would get a yes or no. So it's kind of a 20, 21 questions kind of thing, but where you get yes and no answers to then ascertain the will of the Lord. Now, God had a more direct relationship with Moses. God said, hey, there's no one like this before, and there's not going to be after, where I really speak to the person sort of face-to-face. I mean, direct speaking in a very powerful way. Now, Joshua, who is to lead the people, he is to come before Eliezer, the priest, who will inquire of the Lord in questions. And David so often would go to the priest and inquire, should we go into battle against him? And then what time of the day should we start the battle? And they would ask all of these questions of God in order to determine the will of the Lord. And it was oftentimes determined by the priest inquiring and by the use of the Urim, these lights and perfections. So just what the Urim and the Thummim actually was is not really told to us. And that's what people surmise that it was, but exactly we don't know. And surely it wasn't, it wasn't a pair of glasses by which you could read hieroglyphics when you put them on. As Joseph Smith said, pocus, dominocus. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer and before all the congregation. He laid his hands upon him and gave him the charge of the Lord as he was commanded. Verses 22 and 23. So he brought Joshua, laid his hands upon him, signifying that Joshua was now to begin to take Moses' place as the leader of the people. Now, the 28th chapter, God sort of reiterates some of the commandments concerning the sacrifices. Every day that they were to offer, every day of the year that they were to offer two lambs as a sacrifice to the Lord, one lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening, one during the morning oblations or prayers, another during the evening oblation or prayers. And so twice a day, at least, there were two lambs that were offered and the smoke would go up with the prayers of the people as a sweet smelling incense before the Lord. And they would offer daily in the morning and evening a lamb. That was just a daily and every day of the year this would occur. However, on the first day of the month, then they were to offer more animals on the first day of every month. They were to offer two bullocks, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without spot. And then they were, and the and the Passover time to offer the animals, the goats and all in the Passover time. And then also for the first fruits or Pentecost, he gives them the orders of the animals that were to be offered during that period. So chapter 28 deals with the sacrifices, the type of animals, the type of drink offering, drink offerings and meal offerings that were to be offered to God daily. And then annually, on special occasions. And so just sort of a repetition here of some of the earlier commands that we had in Leviticus, just sort of reinforcing that which he commanded earlier. So next time, we'll finish the book of Numbers as we get into chapter 29, and we'll begin there and finish the book of Numbers. Next time, let us pray. God bless you and just give you a beautiful week coming up. May, he ex- may you experience really the living presence of the living God within your life. Not needing any relics, but just being conscious of the nearness of God and of God's great love that He loves you. He loves you so much that He doesn't see anything wrong with you. Ah, oh, that's so neat. Man, that's more than my wife loves me and she loves me an awful lot, an awful lot. Oh, so glorious to be walking with the Lord and serving Him. And may God just fill your life with joy and praises and thanksgiving all week long. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our salvation our friend, and our God, and all God's children said, Amen.